for tuning in to Montana Voices Podcast. It's been a hot minute since our last cast. Just like everyone else's, our lives have been a bit crazy recently. This may be a bit self-serving since Bryce and I are in this group, but we want to give a big shout out and a special thank you to the essentials, to the techs, the repair people, to the frontline personnel, and anyone else who didn't stop providing essential services, infrastructure, and the expertise to keep this state running in even the most difficult of times. For Montana Voices Podcast, thank you. Back to business. Episode 39 of Montana Voices Podcast. I had the privilege of sitting down with Jeremy Trebus to discuss his political prospects. Jeremy is currently running for House District 26. He formerly represented House District 25, and in his tenure captured the attention of statewide media for his positions on CPS core procedures, firefighters' presumptive lung diseases, and his opposition to local cell phone ordinances. Though I grew up just a several blocks from Jeremy, this is the first time I've spoken with him in nearly 20 years. Join us for a candid conversation recorded in his Columbus Center office. Sitting here with Jeremy Trebus, who hopes to be the next rep for House District 26 here in Great Falls. So I'll let you introduce yourself, Jeremy. I'm Jeremy Trebus. As Jimmy said, I'm running for House District 26. I've lived in Great Falls for as long as I can remember. I was born in Missoula in 1984, so I'm going to be 36 next month, doing my darndest to get uh, get elected here again. So, In our brave new world, I understand there's some new challenges with how campaigning might go. Uh, are you, you're still door-to-door or you're... Um, yeah, door-to-door, not so much knocking as I've done in the past. I'm an introverted individual anyway, so it's been a little different strategy with COVID going on. I've just kind of been leaving my information at the door, and that was only after things kind of started to open up. I didn't go go out right away. I wanted to kind of make sure that we were, I was campaigning um, wisely, I guess. So yeah, I guess everybody has that same challenge and it's more of a maybe online campaign. I saw you had some online presence and full disclaimer, me and Jeremy know each other from way back, grew up in the same neighborhood, played together and got in trouble together as <laughs> kids. So I thought I had the inside line to Jeremy. Usually when I contact somebody that wants to be a representative or a representative, I talk to a campaign manager, a staffer, mm-hmm. or somebody that's not the person I want to talk to. Um, but Jeremy, I just messaged you up on Facebook and I, I thought it was pretty exclusive, but then I saw you have your, is that your personal cell phone on your jeremytrebus.com? Yeah, that's my personal cell phone on my door hanger that I've passed out to probably at least a thousand doors since last Saturday. So going to be my cell phone number for the foreseeable future has been for 20 years. So that's a bold move to make yourself that available. <laughs> um, it's okay. No one calls me. So you're lucky. Let's <laughs> Well, let's run into some sort of a primer of some introductory things so the voters can get to know you a little bit better. You previously ran for House District 25, but it looks like you've moved this time to 26. Yeah. So actually in 2014, I ran for House District 26 when it was a brand new kind of on the map after the last census. So House District 26 is district I actually live in. I lost against a longtime politician in 2014. It was kind of my first run in a legislative district. And then in 2016, I ran in 25, House District 25 and won. And then in 18, I ran again and lost. And so it's kind of been hit and miss with politics for me, more miss than hit. So was there a city commission run in there as well? Or? So in 2013, Mary Jolly had um, resigned from the city commission to become a judge. Uh, I asked to be appointed to that position. I think I had my application in first. 
Not that that mattered. I think like 30 or 40 or 50 people applied. Bob Kelly was chosen at that time. And then, of course, he was a commissioner and then ran for mayor and won. After that appointment process, I had actually ran for city commission in 2013. So that was kind of my first campaign, stepping into the dynamics of how a campaign works and all the foot leather it takes to try and win. Quite a bit of work for altruistic, because it's not for the pay, (laughs) as I understand. Not no, not so much. No, it's I think city commissioners make like four hundred a month. And then if you're mayor, you get five hundred and it's a shorter term. So you have to run more often if you're the mayor. You really have to be interested. Yeah. Something we've talked about previously on the cast is Montana has what they call the citizens legislature, of course, Mm -hmm. every two years, 90 days. Yep. And it's per diem like a hundred bucks a day, which, you know, for some people might seem like a lot of money. But when it's your exclusive job for three months out of every two years, it's exclusive. Not everybody could run for that. Uh, there was a push this last a legislative term to maybe reconsider that. Uh, of course, that involves some changes to the Constitution, which will go on the ballot if they get to that point. But is that something you might at least entertain? Or So I think the idea was to have a shorter session of the legislature, like 45 days instead of 90, which it is now. So right now it's 90 days every two years which works out to effectively about four months, January through April mm. in the odd years. Um, but instead, have a 45-day session every year just so that the legislature has a little bit more input every year into some of the rules that are created and how the budget is being managed by our executive, our governor. And so that has kind of been a back and forth. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. I, I think I like the idea of every year session, but then it kind of disrupts your life and career at home every year. Um, of course, some people are retired. I'm not yet. So Two I, years off from that. I, <laughs> I could kind of go either either direction with that. Um, I think it's an interesting idea. Might be a good one. Yeah, could be. I guess we'll see what uh, which way the wind blows this next time. Yeah. And that, of course, is four months out of every two years, unless there's an emergency session that's called. Just Sure, yeah. Special session. I was a part of one in November of 2017, and that happens um, usually when the budget is in trouble and it was just because of our had a large fire season prior to that and so we had to figure out what to do and how to get the budget to balance again you know i I anticipate another special session this year with the budget and the following year with the budget. maybe yeah it'll be interesting i i think we're probably in good shape but who knows until we really get out of this um time and time in our world so let's talk about your opponents just slightly, because I actually hadn't heard of either of them. There's uh, Rudolph, who doesn't even have a profile pic that I can find, and Sheridan Buck. Um, so I know very little bit about them, but of course, they're, you're facing them on the June 2nd primary. And why do you think you're a, a better fit than either of them? Um, so a few things that I guess set me apart is I've been in the legislature at least once um, so far. So I have some of that political experience and relationships with people in Helena and dealt with some of these issues. I've stood up in the legislature and uh, tried to um, influence votes and pass bills. And uh, so I've got my feet wet, I guess, so to say. But it will really be up to the voters to say, I'm really working hard to try to get my message and my issues out to the voters and they can decide whether or not I'm the right fit for them or not. So what do you think will be maybe the greatest problem we're facing in Montana? I mean, other than the virus, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, we've sort of tried to steer away from the virus, I guess, at least in the last cast we did, because it's, uh, I mean, it won't be relevant forever, I don't think. And it'll kind of feel like watching the Spice Girls now. If you <laughs> look back at some of our historical stuff, and it's all about COVID. Overall, what what is your greatest motivation? And maybe that ties into what might you be interested in sponsoring should you be elected? 
Yeah, so I think it's always whether it's you know our current crisis or or not. I, I'm usually more about the budget. That's kind of my background in education and experience is budgeting and accounting and human resources. So for me, it's always always the budget, and there's always going to be it's always going to be difficult to balance it. And that's why we have representatives is because people get taxed and someone ought to be over looking over how it's spent. And that's kind of the main purpose for the way our government is set up and why you might send someone like me to Helena for you. So economy and jobs is tied to that as well, especially in Great Falls. I think the job market is steady, but I think that we could do do better in developing and bringing more higher paying jobs here to keep keep people here and not have to move out of town. Back up a step because you introduced yourself. But I don't think you gave yourself a quite the fair shake that you should. You're very <laughs> humble. So you, of course, run your own, uh, your licensed CPA. You're, mm-hmm. yep. you're currently in your office in the Columbus Center where yep. you do CPAs. To, uh, Have a little uh, tax business. Honestly, yep. I, know. I try to break even. So far, so good. You know, I thought about bringing you my pension form so you can explain <laughs> it to me, but <laughs> probably in bad taste. You also uh, work for some nonprofits like the uh, Great Falls Rescue Mission, yep. you're the controller over there, and yep. uh, a few other ones. Of, uh, you don't have to go into details of your mm-hmm. resume if you don't want to, but mm-hmm. it's more than just the Great Falls Rescue Mission as your... Yeah, I've been there for eight years as the controller, looking over the budget and HR issues, and, and that's always kept me from getting bored. I've always had something to think about or work through, and challenges like the one we face today has created a, lo- created a lot more rules, and staffing is is harder now because some people have to stay home during this time and take care of themselves or take care of family members. So there's always a challenge, I guess, to say. And there's always a remodeling project at some building or some shelter, so too. <laughs> well, it's a living thing, it feels like. It course, is, yeah, very much. Recently just doubled the capacity, as I recall. With Pretty the- much, yeah, with the fa- family center. So we can take intact families now instead of having to, because uh, we before we had a men's shelter and a women's shelter and we tried to fit people in as best as possible if they had kids and now we have a shelter dedicated just to them that's good well but uh it's the only homeless shelter within 100 miles or so or or further as i recall really it covers kind of a 17 county area kind of goes north to the canadian border and east um to the north dakota border but we have people that research us and come to us from other states and right now that's a little bit touchy just because we don't want to covid we're watching the hot spots in in the United States and making sure we're not um, exposing our folks to anything, but um, kind of where we're at. I suppose that's a hard position to be in. Well, let's uh, run through some of your policy. This is you know right off your uh, your website. That's JeremyTrebus.com, uh, Pro 2A, of course. And you have something on tough on crime, but I wanted to ask specifically, or you mentioned catch and release and mm-hmm. doing away with that, but what specifically might that mean in, in policy? Well, I think there's kind of a, a little bit of a catch-22 situation with crime with catch and release it's kind of referring to people especially people that are already convicted whether here or in other states of violent or sexual crimes and then they're out on the street in what seems to be a short amount of time and then they re reoffend and it seems like that's happening more and more and i kind of i really want to explore how to stop that and i think part of stopping that is more room in the jails which there isn't room right now and more right. room in prison which there isn't and then that's of course um expensive too at the budget so you raise taxes do you cut something and so it's really it's hard to balance that um and fix that issue but i'd like to try but specifically talking about violent crime yeah. obviously we're differentiating between violent and other crimes which uh crimes that you may not agree with such as say marijuana possession mm-hmm. um does that fall under your tough on crime you know i think i'd really want to focus 
less on those sorts of crimes and more really on crimes that would harm other people um, first. I think that ought to be a priority and make sure we keep people that are going to harm other people or have a high likelihood to reoffend in that way in behind bars. Right, so something that will likely come up in the next legislative session, marijuana legalization. Mm-hmm. It's sort of been kicked around. It's been on the ballot in you know, the last couple times, actually. Um, what might your stance be on that? Uh, I kind of want want it to be, and I think it, they're trying to get it on the on the ballot for everyone to vote on as a, and I think that's the right place for it. I, I would think that I, I don't want to make that decision for people. Um, as a representative, I want them to make that decision on a ballot initiative type type deal. So, Right. And something, you did have some specific policy. Of course, Pro 2A is very uh, important. Uh, but you talked about lower taxes, and you generally said lower taxes, which is something we see a lot when we have a conservative on there. Right. Of course, they're going to say lower taxes. Yeah. But you specifically pointed out not taxing Social Security benefits. Yeah. So kind of, and I would say not just lower taxes necessarily, but broader taxes that it, you know, I think conservatives are more about uh, broadening the tax base. So more people pay in less, but overall we have more money. That's the theory. But social security tax, Montana is one of 13 states that I know of that still taxes social security payments if you make over a certain amount. Now, if that's your only income, you're probably not taxed on it. But I think even if you have other pension income or retirement income, in addition to this, you shouldn't be taxed on it. It's meant to live on. And then so yeah, that's that's one of my policies that I've kind of pointed out specifically here. They actually had got that through the House and the Senate, but it was it was uh, vetoed last uh, session in 2019. So I, this comes up for every candidate, but you have a spot on it for no sales tax, which I think every Montanan whole, wholeheartedly believe, believes. Yeah, so so sales tax, um, you know, it's broader issue. We have plenty of excise taxes. You pay gasoline tax, which is a sales tax of sorts, a sales tax on alcohol and tobacco, and even your homeowner's insurance, you, you, you pay that, but then your insurance company has to pay a tax on the insurance that they've sold. So it's priced into your policy. Um, so we have plenty of excise taxes. This is a general sales tax. I think people, especially people that move to Montana from other states or visit, you know, it's often sold as, hey, if we can tax people that are coming in from out of state or tax people on their consumption, on their purchases, we can lower your property tax. But the way that usually works out when politicians get a hold of a tax is they don't let go of either. So your property tax is the same and your sales tax is there and present. So I think that's generally why Montanans don't like a sales tax is because they've seen how it works other places and they don't trust politicians with their money, which is probably a good judgment uh, on their part. I don't, it's not quite a give and take. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's more of a not more so of a take. Yep. And some of the idea that I've heard kicked around is, I don't know how it would be implemented. It sounds like it would be a difficult bureaucracy. Sales tax only for people that are from out of state who come and tourists here. But that kind of feels like a slippery slippery slope, but I don't even know how we would implement it. Right. But, There's been an idea kicked around, um, probably one of the more popular ones, where it may be a seasonal sales tax, where we have sales tax in the summer months or May through September just kind of when we have a high visitation rate from tourists. And of course that would hit everybody, but it would pick up some money from tourists and then and then it would be, you know, kind of turned off, I guess, for the rest of the rest of the, the year. So Right. Um so so with that on on the tax part, I mean, if we were able to do that, uh like I said, I wouldn't know how we would implement that. The time just seems like it's I'm against any sort of taxation. No. We we joke that taxation is theft <laughs> and there's some truth to that. About 
how to implement a fair tax policy to everybody. Because obviously in Montana, the property holders are left with the lump sum of tax responsibility in the state. You know, people that vote, uh, it's probably we see in Missoula where a good portion of the population is renters that are quick to vote for any levy and every property tax increase, not considering the way that's going to trickle down to them. What might a fairer tax policy look like? We had some budget shortfalls this last year, and I'm kind of feeling that we're going to have some trouble again due to where we were and the virus as well. What might be a, a fairer policy in your mind? Um, so, you know, property tax isn't actually our biggest tax. And so I'd start with income tax and dig into that. Um, but, you know, they're, they're both a large amount, but income tax really dwarfs the amount we bring in in property tax. So I would start there and say, you know, what are the rates? What are the tiers? You know, how much do you get taxed at each income level? You know, the brackets and see whether that makes sense or not. And really in Montana, I think our income tax is a pretty decent system. It's almost, almost a flat tax, not quite, still somewhat progressive, but it stops at after you've made $17,400, you pay 6.9% on the rest of your income and it stays at 6.9%. So it's almost relatively flat at about 7%. And, you know, that's, I don't think that's bad. So it's, um, I don't know that it needs major changes, but I would dig in and see what, see what makes sense to kind of level, level things out. And fairness is always in the eye of the beholder. So it's not easy to talk about fairness and taxes ever. So it's a good thing we have a professional here to correct me when I say something like, uh, well, I'm sort of getting to the nuts and bolts here. The contempt of court charge. I had to go find info on this because <laughs> on the KRTV article, mm -hmm. it said you were facing a contempt of court charge. But then when you actually read through the article, that's not what actually happened, as I understand. You were never charged with anything and never faced any fines or, or jail time or anything like that. But um, I'm concerned that I, as somebody who one follows you closer because I personally have known you and also because I'm sort of in the political realm uh, that I was so easily sort of misguided to think that this was a bigger issue than it was. Yeah. So kind of the basis for that was it had a underlying issue of child protective services, CPS, um, Department of Family Services, and uh, then of course the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, and I had been watching and studying CPS as a system in our state for over for a couple of years and ran a couple of bills that way that didn't that didn't get passed in the legislature. But um, it just boiled down to a mom asked me to help her because she felt like she was getting railroaded, and I agreed with her. And she presented enough, um, I guess, evidence to me for me to help take her case, not as an attorney, but as kind of a, as a helper, as a representative, really. But those, those cases are closed to outsiders unless you're a party to the case. And I was in the courtroom and I, I, I got reprimanded for, for that. So, um, reprimanded in the sense that, uh, I think it was best that judge best. Yep. Who basically mm -hmm. reprimanded you verbally or. Yeah, so she, um, I, I think technically she probably had contempt of court on on me. I'm not sure exactly legally where I stood with all that, but she basically said, if you don't do it again, you know, you won't, you know, this will be this will be wiped off, or I won't pursue it, or I, I'm not sure exactly where it left legally, but I got paperwork that said uh, don't do it again. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think that might have had an issue in that upcoming election? Because wasn't it less than a year away from that? Or um, So that actually was televised like the week that ballots started going out in, um, to my recollection. It didn't really like I got contacted months later by the uh, Tribune to do a story on it. And then 
KRTV about a week or two before the ballots came out. And so it could have. I think it was on TV about the same time I was doing my final push knocking doors. So who knows? There was a lot of variables in that election. So I, I don't know where that fit in. Right. I, I would think it would have some effect. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, to the outsider just reading it as somebody who, like myself, thought that there was a legit, legitimate charge and you were in jail or something. Which something, would, yeah. Which would be crazy. But does sound bad. A, yeah. But that's sort of how it was presented, unfortunately. And exactly why we're on a podcast here to try to air these things out and present things well, as they are. And I should say, Judge Beth said, if you want to do that, ask permission first. So I should, uh, if, if I was going to do that again, I'd ask her permission. I just kind of feel like I wouldn't get permission to, to help people when they ask me to in those cases. But my focus has shifted a little bit. I think that's still a system that needs some help and needs cleaned up. I also want to make sure that I'm representing, hopefully, the district as a whole and what they care about. Absolutely. And and, and with that system, you had a few bills uh, in, in your last session for HG25. Um, revise, uh, right? sorry if I'm remember doing it wrong, because I've read through a good part of the bills, but I'm no lawyer, and so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to what uh, the end goal was. You were revising evidence procedures for um, neglect and assault, I think, and then I'll let you speak on that since you're in the Yeah, so one of the two bills about CPS was changing evidentiary standards to be a slightly higher standard, kind of shift. There's kind of, I think, three or four, and I kind of forget all the pieces right now. I'd have to look at the the bill again, but basically make it a little bit higher standard before the government, or CPS in this case, can, at each each stage of removing a child from your home to investigations to ultimately um, terminating parental rights. So just kind of at each stage in that process, the evidentiary standards of proof or evidence would have to be higher at each at each stage. Because it sort of feels like, you know, CPS court and, and regular court are, are operating on very different standards. Would that be something you might pursue uh, if elected again? Or Yeah, so it's still on my radar. I'm still, I'm working with a group called MCPA or Montana Child Protection Alliance. And they really focused on making sure the the laws and procedures uh, around CPS issues are followed. And in the case of the government, the government has a lot of resources to go after a person. And so they have a lot of power. So it's, I think, their responsibility to be, uh, to be a lot, of, have a lot of oversight over that process. And it's just like any, any other time government is involved in your life. If they want to take away your rights, they have to have your permission or a court order or in the case of CPS, for example, if if they're coming or police, if they're coming in their, your house, they have to have what's called exigent circumstances, meaning that have to see something immediately dangerous to to intrude on you. Absolutely, and I, I guess sort of the, uh, the CPS thing, it kind of feels like we lean so heavily and given them, I guess, sort of a almost a blind slate. And you're right, uh, unless you're in the know, there's not the same oversight that you have in a regular court case. But I guess some of the constituents allowing that is that we see all these cases of abuse and neglect and it's absolute absolutely sickening right and so that's why we sort of give them more of a check than we would uh say other legal proceedings yeah a lot of the stories you hear out in the news are the the worst ones and um so you want to make sure the kids are safe obviously that's number one but you have as an individual as a parent as a guardian and you have rights under the constitution as well and so what's a little different in these cases um is that they're considered civil cases versus criminal. So you don't quite have the same, you have due process, but not quite the same due process you do as a criminal uh, proceeding. 
Well, let's talk about something else you might have taken some heat for, uh, the cell phone. You uh, you sponsored a bill or co-sponsored, right, on that? Or oh, was no, that just I, was, I was the sponsor on it. Okay. Yep. Kind of um, lone wolf on that one. <laughs> lone wolf, and uh, I think even the uh, uh, Great Falls Police Department uh, their guy even made a comment on it. Uh, not in your favor, but tie back. You uh, were looking to take that cell phone bans and any other sort of restriction on you know, distracted driving laws up to the state level rather than the city level. Yeah. So, um, I just was looking at the data and I had, uh, spoke against that ordinance, you know, addressed, redressed my grievances to government before they passed that ordinance in, I think 2012. And I think they implemented it in August, 2012. And so I showed up to the city commission meeting and I fought against it. And the reasons being is I don't think, I, I didn't think, and still don't think the data that's out there study after study from the early 2000s when they started these bans in new york and and cell phones became more prolific that the data supported finding people for talking on their cell phone maybe texting you know i think texting is truly distracting but but finding people a hundred dollars two hundred dollars up to five hundred dollars giving them community service and so on and so forth for talking on their cell phone while driving so i didn't think it was fair i didn't think it was right to find people for it i don't know what the numbers are for great falls but it's still prevalent so it's a lot of people still doing it although i think they've really and i kind of predicted this and i think it's happened is a lot less enforced and you really need enforcement to make those bands work like steady enforcement and i think it's kind of gone down because there's other important things to focus on right there's actual crimes i think so there's actual crimes those violent and sexual crimes i think are important to go after first um, absolutely and you know sort of the point i kind of make over and over is every law that we have on the books is enforceable up to death. Yep. The yeah. silliest one. I mean, sure. Yeah. Say I'm not going to go to court for my hundred dollar cell phone ban. Right. <laughs> and, that, and, and that was actually, I had a native American uh, lawmaker who was in the house that kind of made that point. He said, you know, it's one more thing for them to pull people over for. And he didn't think it was important enough to, you know, to pull people have to pull people over for, and who knows what would come of um, those interactions. So, right. And it's, you know, it's sort of a fishing expedition, it feels like. Sure. Like you don't have a front plate, which is important. You had a thing on that as well, front license plate, as I recall. So I was on the transportation committee. It wasn't my bill. I don't think I co-sponsored that one. But some people don't want to have front license plate. In Montana, you have to have a plate on the front of your vehicle and the back of your vehicle. And we did make an exception for certain vehicles that just aren't made to have a front plate. I think there's some versions of Corvette that that's the case. And so... We were able to make an exception for that. I think I, I'm sure I voted for it in transportation committee, which is it has to get through committee before it goes to the house floor. And I think it passed. Yeah, pretty sure it passed. I think so. As it all blurs together these, <laughs> yeah. these days, there's a lot of bills that go through. Yeah, I think so, over a couple thousand. Let's talk after the primary. You're mm-hmm. you're the guy, and you know I'm thinking, you know, just from an outsider, like that'll be the case. You got some name recognition. I mean. What struggles do you see uh, running against Helena Lubbock? Because she's liberal, but I think sort of a Montana liberal in the sense that she's more centrist than what you might get in, say, Vermont or sure. New York or anywhere else. But Well, I think the challenge is the district itself tends to lean more Democrat. Um, of course, Casey Schreiner has been the representative there uh, for a couple terms. And before him, it was um, Mitch Trapila, uh, who beside him and his father had a long career in politics in Montana here. So um, it's just always kind of lean Democrat. Although if you look at Brian Hovind's numbers when he ran for Senator and before that in the house, he's always kind of been able to squeak out a slight majority win in that district. So it's, it's kind of a mixed district. I think whoever works for it will 
win. And I'm, at least that's my theory is you work hard to introduce yourself and meet people. And um, so if it's after the primary and I'm going to be doing the same thing I'm doing now, which is trying to meet you at your door. So that might be uh, August, September. I think this virus will be all behind us at least till fall. So yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, maybe back. Uh, I hope so quarantined uh back come november again <laughs> oh. I, I don't i don't know well anything else you'd like to tell the constituents of hd26 let's maybe we should define that because i understand it runs from mm-hmm. where we're at now sort of down to, up to mountstrom is that right or so yeah it takes in mountstrom air force base and kind of runs along the north side of seventh avenue north to the river for a while and gets down to um about Qantas park and gets a little wider down to Fifth Avenue North, and then uh, and then at some point it gets a little wider to Third Avenue North to the river. Um, and so roughly from about Whittier School to 52nd Street is most of the residential um, in the district and kind of a long, narrow east-to-west district and um, still a lot of work to, to uh, walk through it, but um, that's what I'm doing. It's 50-some blocks all the way up to Malmstrom down. <laughs> So. Yeah, it's kind of a ways. So I'm just trying to get a hold of everybody once before the ballots come out and start. I think they start mail. mail so you guys just voted on a school levy and school board, but May 8th. So this Friday, the ballots start getting mailed out. So they should start showing up in mailboxes on Saturday and Monday. And a lot of them tend to get returned pretty quick. So the election starts to be over um, once those ballots start coming out. Right, and they have, was it, two, three weeks to get them back? Uh, so June 2nd, so as long as I think either mail them a couple of days early to get them back or drop them off at the county elections office by, I think, 8 p.m. on June 2nd. Right, I plug just about every episode, but if you uh, don't know which legislative or House district or Senate district you're in, it's gov slash map, and you can even type in your address and it'll tell you. that map's kind of, I feel... Sometimes it's non-intuitive to figure out what's a Senate and what's a House district, but if you type in your address, you can figure out exactly where you're at other than me and Jeremy just verbally yeah. telling you. It's hard to explain the districts. They're not exactly easy to explain sometimes. So it's good to go take a look at them, for sure. Well, thank you for listening to Montana Voices Podcast here with Jeremy, who's uh, hoping to be our next rep for House District 26. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'm going to let Bryce let you in on the business items. But first, I'm going to ask you to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode of Montana Voices Podcast. Me and Bryce will be back in episode 40. It's about bears. You're probably checking into this right now and you're listening on our website. It's going to be montanavoicespodcast.com. We're going to keep it up as long as we possibly can. Uh, should stay up forever, I have a feeling. Even if uh, Montana goes down, she'll stay up. Uh, email address if you want to be on the cast if you want to get at us for any reason uh, it's going to be montanavoices at gmail.com our twitter page is at montana underscore voices facebook page is at montana voices podcast you can find all of our uh, previous casts on youtube by searching for montana voices podcast <laughs>